So again, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. And it says there, After two days it was the Passover and a festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a treacherous way to arrest and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, or they may be rioting among the people. Two days had passed since Jesus delivered his Olivet Discourse. And now we find ourselves in the Jewish Passover. Now, of the seven major Jewish um, festivals, the most important one, the most significant one, is the Passover. Now, it commemorates the deliverance of Israelites from the, it, it commemorates the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt when, during the final plague, God protected them from the destroyer as it killed every firstborn in Egypt. Now, the story is told in Exodus chapter 12. It's, an, it's a crazy, um, mind-blowing story that almost seems like a fairy tale. But this truly, really happened. Now, as the story goes, just to quickly... You know, God had sent plagues to, to Egypt, to Pharaoh. And one of the last ones was the plague of the destroyer, killing of the firstborn. And God commanded the Israelites to grab and to sacrifice an innocent lamb, a, an unblemished lamb, and put the blood on the doorposts, all around the doorpost. And as the destroyer would come, it would pass over all the houses, all over the, every doorpost that had that blood on it. Now, because of its significance, the Passover was a time of great patriotic and messianic anticipation. If I can relate it to some of our celebrations or our holidays, I would, my best equation, my best, uh, the best thing I can think of is it's kind of like a combination of the 4th of July and Thanksgiving mixed together. Now, during that time, every Jew within 15 miles had to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And many more came from different parts of the region. So it was a big event. You had probably hundreds of thousands of people, possibly even millions of people there in Jerusalem, converging there. So it was a really busy time. It was a really busy place when all this was happening. And I just kind of want to set the mind frame or the picture for, uh, for you to see what's going on here. Now, the other thing that we see here is that they were also celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is found in Exodus chapter 12. There, God instructed the Jews to celebrate it, to be a, to rem be a reminder of their exodus out of Egypt. According to the story, God commanded the Israelites to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. Because of this, they were told to make unleavened bread due to the fact that the yeast in their bread dough would take too long to rise. So he's like, said, hey, we're going to, I'm going to call you guys out. We have to leave in a hurry. There's going to be no time to put that yeast and to see that bread rise. You need to make this unleavened bread. And so that's what it was. Just unleavened bread was just flat bread with no yeast in it. And that's what they would celebrate. 
Now, originally, the Feast of Unlimited Bread was celebrated on the weekend after, on the weekend after the week-long Passover. But for practical purposes, both feasts were merged together and celebrated for an entire seven days. Now, I really believe it's no coincidence that the Passover occurred during the same time that, that Jesus, the innocent and unblemished Lamb of God, came to Jerusalem to suffer and die. With God, there is no coincidence. Everything is planned out. He knows the beginning from end. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a plan. The Passover we read about in Exodus was a foreshadow of what was to come. You see, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that God's judgment now passes over his people. The doorpost now is the doorpost of our hearts, of our of our just our entire lives. His blood covers us. And as a result, death well, now passes over us, and we have eternal life. So it was during this festive occasion that Mark tells us the leading priests and teachers of religious law were looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. In our text here, it says treacherous. In other texts, like the, the one I just read to you right now, was from the New Living Translation, and it's a deceptive secret way. They were looking for a deceptive, secret, treacherous way to capture Jesus and to kill him. Now, what does that tell us about these religious leaders? What it tells us is the, the fact that they wanted to kill an innocent man goes to show how little they feared God. But as much as they wanted to get rid of Jesus, as much as they just wanted to, to, to destroy and, and have Jesus get out of the way, they understood that doing it openly could cause a public revolt and damage their own reputation. That's what they were concerned about. That's what they were worried about. I just quickly want to mention, as Christians, we have to be careful not to allow the weeds of contempt to strangle our hearts when we notice God blessing the life or ministry of a brother or sister in Christ. God has a specific reason and purpose for using and blessing one of His own. Whenever those feelings of jealousy, envy, contempt begin to be stirred up within you toward another believer, toward someone who is just, who God is blessing and their ministry is being blessed, we have to, we should rejoice for them. We should be happy for them. When we start to feel those negative feelings, it only reveals how unappreciative you are about what God has given you. You know, I don't know, I, I can't, I'm so appreciative of what God has given me. 
that I can't look at other ministries and I can't look at other people and, and say, oh, why, Lord, why them and why not me? And, you know, he has given me what he's given me for a reason. He's given you what he's given you for a specific reason or uh, for a purpose. Don't whine, don't complain. Just thank him. Thank him for what you have. Thank him for what you're, what you're blessed with. He loves you and he's giving you what, what you have because of that great love for you. Okay, let's keep moving forward with our passage in verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon who, was, who had a serious skin disease, he was reclining at the table. A woman came with an alabaster jar pure of expensive fragrant oil of nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You will always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. So Jesus now is in the house of Simon. Simon, in other other places, he's known as Simon the leper. It's a man that more than likely that Jesus had healed from leprosy. It had probably been years, a very long time, since really Simon hosted anyone at his house. You know, according to the law, if someone has a serious an infectious skin disease they couldn't have any contact with anyone they had to be separated they had to be they were ostracized so as long as this man was had this disease he was by himself he was alone so having Jesus and the disciples over at his house would have been a celebratory occasion it would have been a time of just, man, probably a party, um, just festive, just a great time. And Simon, of course, just thankful. Thankful that now he's able to have guests at his house, that he's able to have that interaction, that he's able to, to speak and touch the man who healed him. Now, as he's just... We're told there as he's reclining in the table, but again, it's the same thing as, as he's chilling there, as he's just relaxing there at, at, at a table. Here comes a woman with an expensive jar of perfume, proceeds to break the jar, or maybe it's with something, break the jar, and pours the perfume, this oil, over Jesus' head. Now, in another gospel, we're told that it was his feet. But I think with the, with the amount of oil that was, uh, it was a large amount of oil, so more than likely it was his entire body. It started from his head and dripped down to his feet. 
So there's no contradiction there. She covered his whole body with oil. Now Mark doesn't specifically tell us, tells us who this woman is. John's gospel identifies her, identifies, her, identifies her as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who also lived in Bethany. Now this is the same Mary that Martha, her sister, complained about because she was just there sitting, listening to Jesus. While she was working and doing all these things, Mary was just soaking in everything that Jesus was saying. She was, it's like when you're sitting outside in the sun and you just look up and you're just allowing the rays, the warmth of the sun to just to penetrate you. And that's what Mary was doing. Now apparently she owned an expensive jar of perfume with an estimated worth of about 300 denarii. Now, I'm not going to get all into the math, but essentially, it's about a year's worth of wages at that time. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that because women didn't earn that much money, they were fully dependent on their, on their husbands. This alabaster jar of perfume was likely owned by the woman's family. Perhaps Maybe it was even a family heirloom. So when she broke it and poured it over Jesus, you could see why some reacted with indignation for wasting it the way she did and why they scolded her. Now going back to John's account of what happened, it appears that it was Judas Iscariot who was the one leading this verbal assault against Mary. And we know this because it says in John 12, 6, in John 12, 6, it says, he didn't say this because, and we're talking about Judas Iscariot, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in there. Now, immediately, Jesus rebukes them and says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You will always have the poor with you, and you can do good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. Jesus wasn't looking at what she was doing the same way those that were scolding her were seeing it. He saw that what she was doing was a special service and a blessing to him. Now, I don't want to ignore what Jesus said about the poor, but what he was specifically, talk, specifically talking about there was that the poor will always be there. I mean, there's been poor people, people that don't have financial means or, you know, for thousands of years. Now we are called as Christians to help them out and out of, you know, out of the goodness of our heart to minister to those who don't have, who, who aren't well financially. But he was, what he was saying is like, you, you're gonna have the poor always. They're gonna be always there. 
and you can be with them and share with them and give them and bless them whenever you want. But I'm not always going to be here. He was saying, this is for me. She's given this to me. She's blessing me. Leave her alone. Now, it's interesting that a woman, that it was a woman who had the insight to understand what the disciples, what these men didn't understand or couldn't accept. You see, Mary knew and realized that Jesus was about to die and gave the best of what she had to prepare Jesus for his burial. Also here, Jesus was giving them yet another indication, giving his disciples yet another word, telling them that he was about to die. And still, even after that, there was no mention that they understood what he was saying. Then lastly, Jesus affirms the fact that whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, before we had this written Bible, you know, these stories, the gospel, were told verbally. And what Jesus was saying is that when you do proclaim the gospel, don't forget to tell the story. The story needs to be told in memory of her. And now that we do have the written word, we're now able to read it for all eternity. Jesus honored the actions of Mary that day by proclaiming that what she did would never be forgotten and will be mentioned for as long as the gospel is proclaimed. And now again, like I said, we have it recorded here in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and John. Now what I, what I see here with Mary is that she displayed four characteristics that we as Christians ought to emulate. The first characteristic that she displayed was initiative. Now, if you don't know what initiative is, initiative means recognizing and doing what needs to be done before being asked to do it. No one told Mary to take the expensive perfume, break it, and pour it over Jesus. And she didn't ask anybody whether she should do it. Also, Mary took it upon herself to do what needed to be done because no one else was doing it. She realized, man, what's going on? No one is understanding. No one is seeing what is happening here. He's about to die, and no one is preparing him for his death. And she's, she was like, I, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to do it. She took the initiative to, to, to take that step and, and do what needs to be done. As a Christian, you must be willing to take the initiative in places and areas where there's a need. You see, God created you and he put his spirit in you to do great things for his glory. Your purpose and reason for taking action is to honor and glorify him. 
then he will bless you in whatever it is you're doing for him. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 tell us, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord, not men. Knowing that you will receive a reward of inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. The second characteristic he showed was insight. Insight is having the capacity to gain an accurate and deep understanding of someone or something. Mary understood something that the other disciples didn't, that Jesus would die soon. And the primary reason she understood this was because she took time to listen to Jesus. She sat at Jesus' feet and listened. She was one of the few that paid attention to what Jesus was saying. She took it in. She devoured it. She, it, was, it, was, it became her life. It, beca- it consumed her. Jesus' word consumed her. Again, this is a characteristic, an attribute that we ought to emulate. All of us desire desire insight. All of us are sometimes in situations or in circumstances where we're just not sure what to do or how to handle it or how to deal with it. The most effective way to do that is by reading studying and listening to the Word of God. You hold in your hands the most powerful resource God has given mankind and what you do with it is up to you. You know, I, I know that there have been times where I'm at a loss and I need the Lord to speak with me or speak to me. And I open up his word and he shows me. I mean, it may not happen right away, but in time as I reflect and as I think and as I pray, he shows me what I need to do and how to do it. Knowing what the Bible says is helpful. You can, I mentioned this before, you can know the Bible. And yeah, that's helpful, that's good. Putting, though, putting that knowledge into practice, though, makes you wise. But insight is gained when you understand what it says and why it says it. We read, we tend, we tend to just spend time reading what it says in the Bible. And, but do you spend time really dedicating yourself to understand what it means and what he's trying to say. That's what studying it is. That's what um, just contemplating it, meditating on it, chewing on the Word of God is. It's just seeing what he's trying to tell you with his Word. And that's what we ought to do. If If you need insight, 
on how to handle any situation. Again, it's in there. It's in the Bible. It's in His Word. It may not come right away, but it's there. I mean, there's stories in the Old Testament, stories in the New Testament, words of wisdom, words of advice. We just have to listen. We have to really pay attention to what the Lord is telling, what the Lord is trying to tell you. Okay, so he gave her characteristic. There was the first characteristic was initiative. The second was insight. The third characteristic she showed was dedication and devotion. Mary had a self-sacrificing devotion to her Lord Jesus. Her dedication to him was that was what led her to grab that expensive alabaster jar of fragrant oil in the first place and use it to worship him. She lived for Jesus, and nothing was going to stop her from showing others her devotion to him. She didn't let the outside world, she didn't let the haters, she didn't let the 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 scoffers, she didn't let those that were coming down in her um, get to her. She was like, no, I'm going to worship my Lord. This is what I want. This is my heart. This is what I want to do for him. He deserves it. He is my Lord. He's my Savior. And she gave the best of what she had to him. Mary exemplifies the, the type of dedication that we ought to have, that we ought to emulate. Dedication requires commitment, passion, determination, sacrifice. Think of a marathon runner. If, you, if anybody is going to prepare for a marathon, they're going to dedicate themselves to that. They're going to do whatever, whatever is necessary to prepare for that marathon. They're going to start eating right. They're going to start running regularly, long distances. They're going to, they're going to run when they're hurting. They're going to run when they're sick. They're going to run when, you know, whenever they just don't feel like it. They just, they're determined. They're devoted. They're determined to make it to that goal, to run that marathon. And this is the heart that Mary had towards Jesus. And now in the world standards, those qualities, commitment, passion, determination, and sacrifice are ingredients to success. But for the believer in Christ, these qualities reveal the strength of our devotion to God. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as, living sac as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good pleasing and perfect will of God. Again, she showed insight. She showed dedication. She showed initiative. 
The fourth characteristic she showed was courage. Courage is the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. Now here are some of the ways that she displayed courage. Mary didn't let the fact that she was a woman stop her from breaking Jewish gender traditions. You see, it was a guy meeting. It was a guy hangout. And according to Jewish traditions, it was, it was taboo to just have a woman come in here and come in the room and just hang out and interrupt what was going on there. It's like a boys club. And in any, in any other circumstance or in any other case, man, she would have been rebuked. She probably would have been, she would have been treated horribly, more horribly than what we see here. She was like, I'm not going to let the fact that I'm a woman stop me. I, I, I need to do this. This needs to be done. I need to anoint Jesus. I need to worship Jesus. In her silence, Mary showed courage when she continued to do what she did, even when others became angry with her and began to verbally scold her. The description, in the original language, the description here is that their nostrils were flaring. They were just angry and they were just spitting out venom to her and she decided no I'm gonna stay silent I'm gonna to continue to do what I need to do that took courage and another way she displayed courage was that Mary was fearless when she poured what may have been 12 to 16 ounces of oil on Jesus' head do you know how much 12 to 16 ounces of, of, of oil is? It's a lot. And imagine just walking up to Jesus, breaking this jar and just pouring it on Jesus' head. Now I think, I mean, yeah, she probably knew that he wouldn't do anything. She probably just, but possibly, just possibly she was like, I don't know how he's going to react to that. How would you react if someone just walked up to you and just poured oil, 12 ounces, 12 to 16 ounces of oil on your head. I know I'd be jumped up. I'll jump up. If it were me, I'd probably jump up and like, what the heck are you doing? What's wrong with you? You know, I'm, I'm trying to relax here and trying to chill out with my boys. Now you're messing my hair up and you're messing my clothes up. And now I smell like perfume and this whole house, like, you know, but no, she's like, I, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. And, and he just soaked in it. But again, she was fearless. She just did it. She did what she needed to do. As Christians, you and I must be just as courageous in the face of difficulty and or danger. There are various ways you can, that, that courage can be displayed. There's so many ways that you can show that courage. It's just not always standing up and saying yeah you can never do anything to me i'm fine i'm perfect you know or i'm i'm strong and do whatever you hit me in the face and i don't care i'm still gonna you know stand up for what i believe in there's 
it's, it's more than just that. There are other ways in which you can be courageous. I believe God will show you and give you the right kind of courage that you need to have in every situation and circumstance. He will speak to you. He will tell you, okay, this is what, this is what you need to do. If you're scared, if you're worried about what's going on right now with your life, seek Him to give you the strength and courage that you need. You're not going to find it in anybody else. You're not going to find it in anything else. He will give you that strength and courage to, to, to move forward, to move ahead. But you have to keep your eyes fixated on Him. You have to keep your eyes on Him. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit, of, a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. You see, the Holy Spirit that lives within you knows when and how courage ought to be displayed in power, in love, and self-control. When you submit to that divine courage, rather than from your own flesh, I believe God honors it just as much as Jesus honored Mary's courage. Listen to what God had to say in Psalm 91, 15. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. It's a promise from God. All you have to do is just reach out to him, call out to him, and he will answer. He will rescue you when you're in trouble. And as a result, he will honor you for that. Well, as a result of this exchange between Mary and Jesus, the life of one of the disciples began to take a different trajectory. It began to take a different course. Let's read about it, beginning in verse 10. In just two verses, the last two verses. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to hand him over to hand him over to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him silver. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. The actions and statements that transpired in Simon's house appeared to have been the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas. Like the alabaster jar that Mary broke, his hopes and illusions that Jesus would establish an earthly kingdom were dashed into a million pieces. Maybe it was at that point that he felt the past three years that he spent living, eating, laughing with Jesus were just a waste. Just like the perfume that was poured over Jesus. It was in his frame of mind that Jesus went out of his way to visit the men mentioned in verse 1. And he did that to broker a deal with him. 
to set up a deal so that he can betray Jesus over to them. You see, now that his dreams of power were crushed, he rationalized that at least, at the minimum, he can make some money by betraying Jesus over to them. Well, it should come to no surprise how delighted these religious leaders were because they finally found their golden opportunity to get rid of Jesus. They found their, they found their ticket. Something they were looking for. They were looking for a way to, to, to capture Jesus, to kill him, get rid of him. And then all of a sudden, there shows, all of a sudden, Judas shows up and wants to make a deal with him. Of course, they were delighted. Of course, they were pleased. In Matthew 26, we're told that it was 30 pieces of silver. That's all it cost him. 30 pieces of silver. Jesus' life was sold at a price it would cost to buy a cheap slave. A cheap slave. 30 pieces of silver. Now, as soon as a deal was made, as soon as the handshakes were made, as soon as that verbal contract was signed, Judas started looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus, to betray him. The clock to Jesus' death, to Jesus' crucifixion, was now set into motion. It was now a matter of when and how Jesus would be handed over to die. Now, I, I don't believe Judas woke up one morning and said, you know what, I think today, I think today I'm just going to betray Jesus. I honestly believe his, betrayer be his betrayal began long before he made his, this deal with the religious leaders. You see, somewhere along the way, somewhere as he was spending time with Jesus, his hope turned into hopelessness. His expectations were turned into disillusionment and his loyalty into disloyalty. You see, rather than being shaped by Jesus, Jesus, Judas wanted to shape Jesus into his own image. He was hoping to the end, to the last minute, that Jesus would come along, get rid of the Romans, and establish his kingdom, an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. When he realized that that wasn't going to happen, that wasn't going to happen, he gave up. He just simply gave up and turned his back on, on Jesus. Now similarly, Christians don't wake up one morning and say to, say to themselves, you know what, I think I'm gonna be a backslider today. No, I think, I think also, like Judas, most believers who walk away from the Lord, who give up and say, you know what, I'm done with you, begin to do so over time. They grow disappointed when things aren't going the way they hoped. Gradually, that disappointment grows into frustration. That frustration grows into bitterness. 
And once that bitterness overtakes the heart, it becomes easier to compromise the faith you stood up for and justify sinful behavior. How can you avoid that? How can you avoid falling into the behaviors and mindset of Judas? To do that, you have to be like a Mary. And here's what I mean. Mary had the wisdom and insight because she listened, learned, and applied the words of Jesus. Whereas Judas' foolishness and short-sightedness kept him from understanding the truth and being transformed by it. Mary remained dedicated and devoted regardless of the circumstances. Whereas Judas allowed the circumstances to frustrate him to the point where he became selfish and disloyal. Mary showed courage amid difficulty, opposition, and the unknown. Whereas Judas, rather than coming confidently to Jesus with his frustrations, with his anger, he chose not to say anything at all to anyone about what he was feeling and what he was going through. He kept it to himself. He was scared. He was scared what others would think about him. He's scared, you know. He began to choose another path for himself, a path that was in the opposite direction from Jesus and the rest of the disciples. My hope and prayers here right now is that everyone that's in this room, anyone that's listening or watching, that they have those same qualities as Mary. Her initiative, her insight, her devotion, her courage displayed in love and commitment for her Lord Jesus Christ. That's what she displayed, love and commitment for her Lord and Savior. I'm reminded of what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that, that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifice. Don't let the trials and difficulties and difficult circumstances bring you down. Withstand the urge to give up and don't let the enemy destroy the work that God has been doing in your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes we're just at a loss, Lord. We just don't know what to do. We're at a crossroads, and for many of us, we made the mistake to, to choose and decide the wrong way because we're scared. We, we think that we know what's right. We think that we know what's better. 
and we fail to to see that you have a better way that with you walking alongside that your path is the right path and even though there, there may be rocks and holes along that path Lord it's your path and you lead us through it you're there Lord, help us. Give us the strength to make the right choices and decisions. Lord, we don't want to have the heart of Judas. We don't want to have that mindset. Lord, we want to have the heart of Mary. And and we're asking you now, to give us the strength to have that heart, Lord. Because in and of ourselves, we don't have that strength. We need you, Lord. We don't want to fall away. We don't want to be backsliders. We want to just grow in you and walk in you and know you and understand you and love you, Lord. Meet us where we're at, Lord. We need you. If you're watching, the Lord's been speaking to your heart and you've never dedicated your life to Him. You've never devoted your life to Him. And and now you've come at a place where you have to choose one or the other, walk away or, or accept Him. And I urge you, make the decision to walk with Him. If that's you and you're ready just to give your life over, to surrender your life to Jesus in the quietness of your heart and just wherever you're at, just pray this. God, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and that I've sinned against you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe all my sins have been taken from you. You took my sins. Lord, fill me with your spirit, Lord. I accept your forgiveness. And now I want to walk with you, Lord. I want to just be filled with your spirit, Lord. Please fill me. If you prayed that from the honesty of your from sincerity of your heart, God has heard you and he's forgiven you. And if you've walked away and you've backslidden or you're on the verge of backsliding, Just pray, pray this, pray, God, don't let, help me not to get to that point, Lord. I'm sorry for doubting. I'm sorry for the choices and decisions I've made and the frustrations and, and being disappointed and not seeing that you have a plan. Lord, also just give me the strength to continue 
to walk, to turn back and continue to walk with you, Lord. I repent of my sin and I repent of my rebelliousness. Let me just walk with you from now on, Lord. I pray for all those that prayed that, Lord. Be with them, encourage them, strengthen them. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for ministering to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.